Praise God, you guys. You know, uh, if I ask you a question, little quiz at the front. Sometimes we have a quiz partway through, but little quiz in the front. If I said, what is God's will for you, what would you say? Salvation. Salvation. God's will that all would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. So Diana, you're, you get an A on that. A plus. That's good. What's that? Sanctification. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, Jimbo, you're right. This is the will of God concerning you, even your sanctification, it says. Ooh, these are not the answers I'm looking for, but these are all aspects of his will. What's that? First uh, Thessalonians 5, it's his will. It says that we become, we're thankful in all things. There's another one I'm not looking for, but praise the Lord, that's good. <laughs> to know him. To know him, amen. That's right. There was Jesus' prayer that we would know him, right? That, that, that uh, you know, we would love one another as believers, right? And the world would know, you know, uh, that the Father sent him. Amen. That's it. That's not the one I'm looking for either. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Yeah, that's definitely his will. Philippians chapter 4. Stevie. Be ministers of reconciliation. That's not what I'm looking for, but that's a really good one as well. You know, that's one people don't even think about usually. That's a really good one. Man, I'm seeing a lot of hands. Praise God. Tony. He had one son and he loved him so much that he wanted more. That he wanted more sons. Ooh, you are close to the verse I'm talking about. You know? He wanted more. Okay, before you guys gave the same answer. So before we get to you guys, since you're tied, kind of. What was it? What were you going to say, Francesca? To be peacemakers. It's definitely as well that we be peacemakers. He says to be at peace with all men, right? Uh, as much as it's possible within you. Sister? Uh, to spread the gospel. Yeah, that's why we get the Great Commission in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you know. And some say, yeah, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not John. But it's in John. If you go to chapter 20, he breathes on them and says, I've sent you, you know. Either the Father sent me, I send you, right? Uh, but uh, praise the Lord, you guys. Uh, the two of you both said to be like him. You're all right. Ooh, Steve's got another one. That none to perish. Amen. It's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's uh, Steve and Carol. <laughs> man, we're, man, we should just do a message on everywhere it talks about God's will, right? Uh, that's awesome. But the one I was looking for, specifically, because all these pass, but this would be what you might say is God's end game, his ultimate will for our lives. What's his will for your life? All those things count that you mentioned, and praise God. But it's his will. And two of you said that we be like him. Amen? Amen. Oh, now Jamie's quoting the scripture, which relates to the scripture that you referenced, that they might have many more children, because it talks about that as well. Uh, go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans 8. And I love Romans 8. And everybody loves verse 28. And I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses as well. Uh, a lot of people don't quote Romans 8, 18. 818 is a lot like 28, which talks about the present sufferings that we go through aren't to be compared, you know, with the glory that we revealed in us. I love that. So whenever you're suffering, you can say, okay, whatever I'm going through now, and as painful it is, it is right now, it's not to be compared to what the glory that's going to be revealed in me. And that's because of verse 28, you know, which says that, you know, God works all things together for the good, for those who love and are the call according to his purpose, because God has a plan. Amen. Father, do open our hearts and our minds to understand this teaching. But look at verse 29. And this is where it's a striking verse on God's ultimate will for your life. And if we focus on the meaning of this verse, which we are doing this evening, and we, we vouchsafe this in our hearts by the Holy Spirit as, man, this needs to be my goal, the goal of my life. And we understand how it relates to verse 28 and the rest of the Bible. Your, your spiritual walk will just take off. It doesn't matter what you go through. If you trust in Christ and you keep this in mind, Every trial will make sense, even though every trial will be painful. It won't make sense always as far as you do the math, like, hey, how come this happened? You may not figure out a lot of things, like Job didn't, but you'll figure out the bigger picture. You'll know the bigger picture. Is that one of my grandchildren? Okay. Sound like it could have been. <laughs> okay. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to what? The image of his son. 
So that he would be what? The firstborn among what? Many brethren. That's why, Tony, I said you're, you're close. <laughs> There's the many children right there. Uh, so for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, this verse right here, God ultimately wants for you to become like Jesus. Amen? Become Christ-like. That's why we gather together. If you're coming to church, you know, just to learn how to be, you know, more moral, that's the wrong reason. I mean, that's a good reason, but it's not the reason. Because becoming like Christ, you'll become more moral. Amen? Absolutely. But if you're calling, if you're coming to church to say, hey, I want to just, you know, my old life, I just want to better my old life. You're missing the point. Because what did we discover last week when we looked at, had a message called, on Wednesday night, Sanctification 101. Remember that? Yeah. We looked at sanct the doctrine of sanctification. And the reason I'm doing this particular message is because it's kind of like Sanctification 101 Part 2. Although the problem with calling a message the same name and doing Part 2 People are less likely to look at it. If they've already seen part one, they feel they've got it. So I just call this message just becoming more like Jesus. But it's kind of part two of that message. Because I wanted to emphasize, and I rattled some scriptures off at the very end of that message, but I wanted to emphasize uh, that God's called you to be Christ-like. And when you come to fellowship, when you walk in Christ, your whole goal is to become like Jesus. Now the world and Satan, we've got three enemies, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's why I say you don't come to church and say, I want to make my old man better. No, we're supposed to count the old man what? Dead. Dead. We talked about that in Sanctification 101, amen? We're not supposed to be like our old man. The person that we were before Christ was put to death on the cross with Jesus, amen? The Bible says that we're, you know, we died in him on the cross. That's our old man, amen? We're not supposed to resurrect that old man. And I told you guys, man, uh, that old man, that Greek word, uh, that's sometimes translated abolished, you know, killed in, in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, literally means to be decapacitated, like being put into a coma. I told you about that dream I had about my, my wife where her old person was just laying there, and I did not dare want her to wake the old Lisa up, you know, and that we have that old man that we're not supposed to resurrect, amen? Without going into that whole analogy, uh, there's the old man. We count the old man dead. So now what do we do? What, what did we become? Then we read it. We went through different scriptures in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, which we won't go through this again. We're going to go through other scriptures. But we spent time in those scriptures where it talks about putting off the old man. Amen? Because, you know, just like Romans 6, consider the old man dead. But then he talks about putting on the things associated with the new man. Amen? Which is made in the image of his uh, true righteousness. Amen? And holiness. Because when we fell... The image of God was radically disfigured. Some believe that humans aren't in the image of God at all anymore. That's not true. Humans still have a conscience until they sear it, right? Humans have vestiges of the original creation that are just profoundly uh, you know, disfigured, depraved, wrecked, you know? But the Bible talks about how we're not to misuse our tongues against people in James chapter 3 who are creating the image of God. God still recognizes that human beings, other human beings, are still made in his image. Though that image is incredibly marred, amen? And that's why we need to be saved. Because we're under a double curse, right? What's the double curse that we're under? We're under the curse of breaking God's law, so we're under the penalty of the law, right? So we suffer because we're under the penalty of the law, but what's the other part of the curse? We have a sinful nature. Amen. So when the Lord comes to save us, he dies on the cross. He does that to deliver us from the first, with a double cure. The first part of the curse is we're lawbreakers, man. We're doomed. We're, we're, we're destined for hell. Amen. But guess what, man? There's a second part of the problem. So once you're forgiven, ooh, there's another problem. There's that sinful nature. Amen. But that's why you consider the old man dead. You believe what the Lord said he did on the cross, not only paying for our sins, but nailing that old man to the cross. And you refuse to let that old man get up, and you walk in newness of life, amen, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you become like Jesus. And you cry out to God and say, Lord, every day make me more like Jesus. 
As a Christian, your goal when you wake up in the morning should be becoming like Christ. I mean, Jesus says there's something we should do every day if we're going to become his disciples. What's that? Ooh, if anyone's to be my disciple, yeah, let him deny himself, pick up his cross. How often pick up your cross? When you go up to the altar and then it's, that's it? No, daily. And then and he says, follow me, amen? So you're following Jesus, man, when you become a Christian. It's a daily thing where you die to yourself, you deny yourself, and you take up your cross, and you follow him. And it's beautiful. And Paul said that I might know him, right? And the fellowship of his sufferings, wow, and be made conformable unto his death, follow him. He said, I die daily. And as Christians, we need to die daily to self and take up our crosses and follow Jesus. So important. In fact, look at Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Uh, I shouldn't have gone there so quickly, but before I go back to Romans 8, 29, which is really rich, I want you to look at that. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be what? Like his teacher. Well, who's our ultimate teacher? Jesus, amen? So guess what I try to do from the pulpit all the time? First of all, in my life, I seek to be like Jesus. And I seek to be Christ-like. I seek to be an example. But when people come to fellowship, I preach Jesus. Why? Well, look at Colossians chapter 1. This is when I get in trouble. When I start going to verses that I haven't written down that just come to my mind, because otherwise I have it timed out decently. But no, this is really good. Look at the reason Paul labor, labors. Look at the reason Paul strives. Look what he does. He says in verse 29, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power. By the way, I want you to understand and underline in your mind at least, he's striving according to what? His power, that's going to come up later. His power, which mightily works within me. Well, why, Paul? What purpose are you striving for? According to the power of the Holy Spirit. Back up one verse, verse 28. We proclaim who? Him. Because ultimately, this is the one we proclaim. That's why we proclaim Him. That's why when you come to Blessed Hope, you're always hearing about Jesus. Even when we're in the Old Testament, who are you hearing about? Because we're looking at what? Typology, right? Pictures of Christ, right? He's everywhere. We talk about hymenutics, right? I'm sure if somebody's into biblical interpretation, they'll say, he missed, he missed said that. That means, he means hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation. Hermeneutics. No, I said hymenutics on purpose because the study of him, man. It's about Jesus. All hermeneutics lead to him. Amen? Amen. So I love hermeneutics, but I especially love hymenutics because look at verse 28. We proclaim him admonishing, that means warning. We proclaim him warning or admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we, we may what? Present every man what? Complete in Christ. If you have the King James, which was my Bible when I was a new Christian, the words perfect, that might present every man perfect in him. The Greek word teleos, which means to come to an end or maturity or complete or perfection. And that was Jesus' goal for us. I think Matthew 5, verse 48, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And uh, what is it? Uh, James, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 16, that we're supposed to pass our sojourn in here with godly fear. And it says that uh, we're to be holy as he is holy. Amen? So we're supposed to look at him. Be perfect as the Father is perfect. Be holy as he is holy. Amen? And I, it really bothers me that Christians think, well, I'm, I'm just forgiven. And they don't press on to be like Jesus. That's messed up. That's not Christianity. God just didn't save you to sit on a log and just sing a praise song here and there, man. He saved you to make you like him. And it's exciting, really. Really exciting. So Jesus says the disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So I preach Jesus. Because I'm just taking Jesus' teaching, the Word of God, and giving it to you constantly so you'll become more Christ-like. Amen. Amen? Now, it's essential that we get this. And by the way, you want to be like Jesus. I think I just read Pee Wee Herman died recently. You know? 
And Pee Wee Herman, anybody remember Pee Wee Herman? I'll give my age away here. Yeah. It was pretty, actually, disgusting guy, you know. When he's, I think he was jailed for a while for something really bad. But, uh, but people, you know, don't realize that there's a lot of images the world puts out constantly and people are trying to be like these images. Satan knows that because we were created to reflect God. So we're reflectors, and Satan knows we're reflectors. You know, we actually have certain kinds of brain cells that are imitating cells. Do you know that? I've studied them a little bit. They're cells that God gave, gave us that are meant to imitate. Well, the enemy knows that, so he puts images before us that he wants us to imitate. That's why the Bible says you'll become like what you worship. It says that more than once in the Old Testament. You want to make sure you're truly worshiping the Lord, amen? You don't want to become like the enemy become like one of his futile idols. Now, it's interesting. Back to Romans 8, 29. And we're going to look at this a little more deeply. Romans 8, 29. And when you get there, again, what does he say? He's what? Those who before knew he what? Predestined to what? For us to be conformed to what? The image of his son. Amen. Amen. Now, a lot of times when people see the word predestined, it scares them. People have a hard time with verses like predestined, and they're like, what does that mean? It means, does it mean that God doesn't give us a choice, and then he punishes us forever for, you know, not making the choice we couldn't make in the first place because we were predetermined, you know, and as though God is some kind of unjust God. But you cannot divorce predestination from foreknowledge. For whom he what? Foreknew he what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In God's foreknowledge, he had a plan to predestine you to, be, to become like Jesus. I mean, trip out on that. I mean, to be like Jesus? Jesus is called the exact representation of the Father's person. Amen? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? That, that's John 14. The other part I mentioned was Hebrews 1, the first few verses. He's the exact representation of the Father's person. Uh, in, I think it's Colossians 1.15, he is the image, right, of the living God, the icon, you know. And that word was used of Caesar, the image of Caesar on the coins in those days. The word icon, you see the icon, the Greek word, for, for Caesar on the coin, because it was an image of him. Well, Jesus is the icon of the Father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. That gets crazy because we are called to be and predestined, if you're believing in Jesus and trusting him, to be conformed to the image of Christ and be with him forever. That's a heavy deal, guys. Now, some falsely teach a doctrine of theosis, even in professing Christian camps, that we are going to become God, you know. And some, you know, take the idea of becoming Christ-like far too far. We become perfect men and women, but we never become God. Amen. Wait, how do we become Christ-like? Remember, we're made in the image of God. So there's aspects of what God's like that we are like because we're made in His image, amen? That's a beautiful thing. But we make a distinction in theology between God's communicable attributes and His incommunicable attributes. And it's critical that you understand this distinction so you don't get caught up in some New Age view or some Mormon view that we are going to become divine, or that we're going to somehow merge in with God's consciousness to the extent where we lose our own identity and we're just part of God, you know? No, that's, that's Eastern mysticism that's, and Mormonism that we're going to have, become our own gods and so forth. Now, some will say, well, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 that we are partakers of the divine nature. Absolutely, we're partakers of the divine nature. These are beautiful verses, but you need to understand them in their biblical context. So how are we partakers of the divine nature? Who lives in us now? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit are God's communicable attributes. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Right? Those are things that God's given us that Show who he is. It's the fruit of his Holy Spirit. Amen. That's beautiful. And God wants you to grow in those things. Because as you grow in the fruit of the Spirit, you become more and more Christ-like. But you notice you don't see on that list omnipresence. 
omniscience, right? Omnipotence, right? You don't see those things on that list, okay? Because we never become, those are God's incommunicable attributes. Only God can be from everlasting to everlasting. Sorry, nobody can be from everlasting because there's only one God and he's the only one that's from everlasting. Hence, therefore, no one can become God, amen? So we're partakers of the divine nature in that we, he shares his communicable attributes with us. Praise God, we should be so thankful, amen? Now, so we become like our master. Now look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, brothers and sisters, like I said, you don't divorce predestination from foreknowledge. Him he foreknew, he predestined. Amen. You also see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where Peter addresses those who are the chosen. Instead of speaking of those who are predestined, he uses the word chosen there, the electos there, those who are chosen according to the, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God. Same thing. Amen. Now, this is the deal, is what God has joined together, Jesus said, let no man separate. Amen? Amen. So we're not separate foreknowledge from predestination. By the way, which comes first here in the, in the, in the list? Foreknowledge or predestination? Foreknowledge. foreknowledge. The question is, it begs the question, who is it that he foreknows? Who does he foreknow that he predestines? Well, somebody could say a cricket. Somebody could say anything. But if you look at the context... Look at the first, first word of verse 20. The word's for. I think that's gar in the Greek. I've got to look it up. But for, it's a conjunction. For the creation, I'm sorry, verse uh, 29. Uh, for those whom he foreknew. The for is a conjunction. is connected to what verse? Verse 28. For, like he's saying something earlier. So for whom he foreknew. He predestined. So verse 29 has to do with verse 28. And verse 28 identifies those he foreknows. Who is it that he foreknows? Look at verse 28. And we know that God caused all things to work together for the good. That sounds a lot like predestining, doesn't it? We know that God works all things. or And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who what? Love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. So who is it that God foreknows? Those who what God? Those who love God. It's not that difficult, guys. He predestines those he knows for whom he foreknew. He predestined to be conformed to his son. Those he knows will love him. Is God capable of seeing the future? Absolutely. Is God all-knowing? Yes, he's all-knowing. So when did he know that you would love him? When did he know that you'd love him? Before he created, Before he created us, amen? He knew that you'd respond to the gospel. It says we love him. Now, this is his doing. It's all by grace. We love him because he first loved us, amen? He knew that you would love him. In fact, it's interesting. When you look at this kind of language, uh, there's some interesting scriptures. Because listen to John 14, 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Catch that? If you respond and you love him back, now he so loves the world, we know that. Amen? That he gives his only son that they don't perish. Amen? But you don't partake of his love and you don't experience him coming into your heart until you respond to his love. Amen? And love him back. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He's talking now about his manifesting love in, in the person. The context in John 14 is all about the Holy Spirit coming to live in you. And God the Father, Jesus said, by, uh, you know, you'll no longer be called orphans. The Father and my Father and myself will make our homes in your heart, he said. And the Holy Spirit will come to be with you. So in this context, Jesus says, whoever keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father and will love him and reveal myself to him, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Ooh, isn't that interesting? So when did God know that you would love him? When? Before the creation, amen? Before whom he foreknew. So before he, you, you loved him, he already knew you'd love him, and he was going to what? Come into you and reveal himself to you. 
and conform you to become, or, or, or predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. I love this. Listen to 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Ooh, isn't that cool? God knows, man. Anybody loves God, God's going to know. Well, what about that person, the boonies, and they've never met Jesus Christ, you know, or they're in a far off place, and, and deep down they've seen what God's done in creation and everything, because there's people all over the place who, who, you know, there's people that turn to idols, but guess what? There's people that respond to the gospel. There's people like Cornelius, remember? Feared God, gave alms, never heard Jesus' name. But God drew him. Amen. Because Jesus said in John 7, 17, that whoever wills to do the will of the Father will know the truth, or will know the doctrine. Amen? Amen. I love what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful and put me into service. When do you think the Lord, God, first considered that Paul would be faithful? Before creation. And he put him into service. He called him, and Paul says that Paul was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul said that. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He could have been rebellious, but God knew that he would turn and serve him. God also knows those who will reject him, those who will not love him. In John chapter 2, he knows of certain people ahead of time who will believe in him because of his miracles and his signs, but don't really want to follow him because of who he is. And we read this, listen to this, John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. It talks about those who believed in his name, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them, for he knew them all. Ooh, isn't that heavy? So certain people he didn't entrust himself to because he looked at their hearts. He knew them. Are you understanding now? That God doesn't unilaterally make, uh, make moves by divine fiat unconditionally. He looks at the heart. Are you with me? It's crystal clear. For whom he foreknew, Greek words prognosco, prognosco, pro is a preposition, before, and gnosko, knowledge, foreknowledge. We get the word prognosis, by the way, from it, knowing the worst, what someone's going to be physically. Uh, you know, you get a prognosis. Prognosko is foreknow there, for whom he foreknew. He predestined conformed to the name of his son. For whom, for who, who did he foreknow? Those who would love him. The verse right before that, God works all things together for the good for those who what? Love him, love him and call the core to his purpose. So this is God's divine plan. Nobody should fear that we're predestined. You should say, praise the Lord that we're predestined according to his foreknowledge. Amen? What God's joined together, let no one what? Separate. And when people separate those two things, uh, it gets, you know, God can become viewed as a tyrant or someone who's just predetermined everything like some kind of monster and then punishing people who had no choice but to end up where they ended up. You know, that's not Bible. And by the way, the early church, the view I'm giving you of, of, of foreknowledge and, and God foreknowing that people would love him and have faith, that's the view of the early church for the first three and a half centuries of church history, by the way. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Now, he wants us to become like Jesus. What? does that look like? And I want to take you through so we can meditate now upon various scriptures that talk about becoming more like Christ. And I want to look at first and foremost at some of Jesus' teaching. Go to John chapter 13. Verse 13. John chapter 13. Verse 13. I love this. Verse 13. Look what Jesus says here. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also what? Ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you a what? An example that you also should do as I do did to you. Amen. Now that's heavy. This is Jesus, God of the flesh, takes the form of a lowly servant and washes their feet. And the context is they're debating about who's the greatest. That's the context. And usually a servant would come in and there would be servants that would wash someone's feet, but there's no servants there. So the custom was that somebody else would have to, usually the first person there perhaps, would wash other people's feet as they came in. But instead they're arguing about who's the greatest among them. 
And it's heavy because Jesus is at the table. And he takes, he covers himself with a robe. You know, it's a trip. It's like he's a picture of him becoming a man. He stoops down, humbles himself, and he washes their feet. That's when Peter says, may it never be, Lord. And Peter, Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me, Peter. And Peter's like, well, you wash, wash every part of me. Jesus says, you only need your feet washed. You've already been bathed, Peter. You know? <laughs> Peter's like, I'm all in, you know. I love Peter, man. He had some radical falls, but he had some radical recoveries, too. And I just love that. But I love what Jesus does there, man. This is God. This is the creator of the universe washing our stinky feet. He says, I've left you an example that you would do likewise. Now, think about this. Today, certain churches have foot washing services to follow this example. I don't begrudge that. I think that's cool. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. In that context, the first century it certainly meant that, right? But now if we line people up and we wash each other's feet, it means zero. Other than, why are we doing this? Well, Jesus said to you, well, it has no practical significance. I'm not saying you can't grow from it, you know. You know, but some people have a really hard time having their feet washed and so forth. I think it's fine. I've had some, I had a brother come over one time, wanted to wash my feet. I was fine with it, you know. Uh, but one of the elders wanted to do some foot washing at a men's retreat. We did that. Nobody else wanted to do it, so I had him wash everybody's feet. No, that's not true, you know. But we just had a foot washing service. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But there's, there's, a, there's application to spiritual teaching, and I think it's really probably good for a church to do that once in a while. I'm not having a problem with that at all. But guess what? You can wash all the feet you want with people that have clean feet and they have socks and shoes and they're not walking with bare feet or sandals in dirty, unpaved roads where they, you know, dirt gets caked between their toes. You know? Right now, there's people with all kinds of other needs that would really appreciate you helping them in another way rather than washing their feet. Amen? Say there's an old lady that lives at the corner and she's a believer and she loves Jesus, but she can't, she can't even afford to cut her lawn. And you go wash her feet, but you walk through the weeds there and back. She's like, well, thank you. That was nice of him, I think, you know. But I think she's going to appreciate the person that mows her lawn for her more. Amen. And what I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, is guess what? We need to serve like Jesus served. Amen. And instead of thinking about who's the greatest, that's ridiculous, by the way. There's verses that say if we think we're something, we're nothing. And what do we have but that which we receive from God? Amen. And we should be thankful for everything. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father lights. Amen. And we should be thankful but we should serve one another. And think of different ways you could serve other believers. In fact, you know what? Give me some shout outs. What's a way that you could help another believer? Come on. Be, being, a, being a family. Amen. Being family. Being there for each other. Availability. You know, right now the NFL just started and uh, being a family and they'll talk about the different strengths of different, you know, different uh, players, you know. If they're talking about linemen, they'll talk about his ability to pull as a guard or his ability to drop back and pass block, or maybe he he's can run block really well and open up holes for the running back. If they're talking about running back or wide receiver, cornerback, they might talk about his speed, how fast he is or what have you, or his ability to run routes if he's a wide receiver or uh, press coverage if he's a cornerback or whatever. But guess what? A smart coach will say sometimes when he's talking about the biggest strength of his players, he'll say availability. Why is that important? Because you could have the best receiver, the best cornerback, or best running back, or quarterback in the NFL. But if he's on the sidelines like Aaron Rodgers is just now, who, by the way, was all talking about manifesting, he forsook Christ, he turned away from Jesus, pray for that guy. He abandoned Christ years ago. And then he was talking before, was it Monday Night Football? Yeah, yeah was it Monday Night Football? He's talking about how he's now manifesting. I'm manifesting. You just got to believe it. He's getting involved basically in witchcraft, new age, the secret type stuff. And you just got to believe it. I'm telling my players, you got to believe it. He goes on to the fourth play towards his rotator, or I'm not his rotator cuff, he's Achilles out for the year. So much for manifesting, you know? And I, and I have to confess, I prayed three times right before he took his first snap, not for him to get injured. I prayed, Lord, do not let him have a great year and be a talking head. And the third time I prayed, I said, you know what? I, put, I, was, I was relaxed and I was wiped out. I'm like tired, you know? And I'm like, I, like, I hit pause and I lifted up my arms for the Lord. I said, Lord, do not let this guy be a radical spokesman for the NFL. And everybody looked to him, which he probably will two degree one anyway. And then the fourth play, boom, I was like, okay, Lord, I wasn't saying hurt him, you know? So I was like tripping out on that, you know? 
but I pray for him, you know. But hey, what, uh, whatever, you know, I just don't want that guy leading a lot of people into witchcraft and away from Christ, you know. But uh, availability is huge. And that's, you're available to help other people. That's why we get together in fellowship. Amen? That's why we, we, we make ourselves available with each other. That's why so many people in our live stream audience that can't be here, they'll share with each other. I just got a, a, a video from John Brooks. And hey, John, if you're watching right now, a bunch of the live stream people, he goes, we're not a live stream church, Joe. In the video, we're a bunch of people that live stream but don't have a church, but we look at you as our pastor because we can't find a church, but we all have a community on live stream, but we don't have one specific group. And a lot of us are going to come visit in December. So I think it's 12th or 13th, something like that, Lisa. So be here for them if you can. Be available for them. But we want to be available for each other. Amen? And we want to, you know, show hospitality and be there for each other. That means a, a shoulder to cry on. That means uh, a, a brother is struggling. He can't afford gas or whatever. We try to step up and help him. Well, what if somebody comes and tries to abuse that and they just are always, they're not working and they're just a sponge and a parasite. Well, the Bible says if they don't work, don't let them eat. Okay. But that shouldn't be your mentality. Your mentality should be, I want to help, unless, you know. So we always, should always try to want to help people. Amen? What's another practical way we could wash each other's feet? Honesty. What's that? Honesty? Honesty? Oh, oh, yeah, speaking the truth in love. Amen. That's Ephesians chapter 4, being honest and saying, hey, hey, bro, you are asking for help a lot, but I noticed you haven't worked for 17 years. And you're fine because you go mountain biking all the time and everything else or whatever, you know? So yeah, that's important to be honest and speak the truth in love. That's really important. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It says, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the words of a friend. Amen? I'd rather have a friend that would tell me the truth, say, hey, Joe, you know, you got to strengthen this area, bro, than pat me on the back, you know? How would you like it if, you know, uh, you were going straight to hell and people just watched you because they didn't want to offend you? We've got to speak the truth in love. Amen. It's another example of practically washing each other's feet. Yeah, praise the Lord, Bria. She's washing your feet by hosting a baby shower. What's that? For you, yeah, that's beautiful. And I love the way she put that. She's washing my feet, not literally, but by hosting a baby shower. That's beautiful. That's, that's a form of foot washing. She's serving you. Amen. She's blessing you. I love that. And I love the way you worded that. I think we're going to, we should all borrow that. Let's go wash that brother's feet. Oh, we're going to wash his feet. Yeah, by mowing his lawn or whatever, you know, give him a ride or whatever. Very good. Like that. Anybody else? Shay. Seeking to believe the best about people. I don't mean to talk over you, but I know they can't hear that are listening to live stream, so I try to keep talking a little bit, so I'm not trying to be rude. Yeah, overlooking offenses, you know, uh, absolutely. It's to a man's glory, it says, to overlook an offense. Love covers a multitude of sins, the scriptures also say, amen. Okay, the Bible talks about affirming that was an, which is excellent in one another, right? So, uh, now that doesn't mean ignore evil, you know. If something's incredibly evil, you got to deal with it. But you don't want to be suspicious of everybody, amen? Because you'll, that means you'll be a distant, cold person, there's so many people, especially in this fellowship, that just have hearts of, of pure love toward the Lord and one another, and it's beautiful to see. So that's a very good word, Shay. Uh, you know what? Look at verse 34 now of the same chapter. Verse 34. A new commandment. Verse uh, 13. Uh, chapter 13, yeah, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as what? I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Wow. I love that. Now, remember, this all fits so well with the first verse I used, which was in Luke chapter 6, right? Around verse 40, where he says, everyone who, you know, every disciple will look like his master when he's been discipled. Amen. So Jesus is saying, love one another as I've loved you, amen? I love that. And look at the language. It's just so beautiful. New commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's why those who teach that you can reach Christian perfection in an absolute sinless sense here, 
To me, it's just like so, it's so unscriptural. Who could literally say that they love exactly like Jesus loves every day? No one. <laughs> Amen. Good timing, Jim. I thought, man, he's sitting here, but he sounds like he's back there. But then he got up and got some coffee or something. Like, he's got a big voice, man. So, uh, so but he wants us to be like him. Amen? What's an example uh, of loving one another in the way that Jesus loved us? Laying, what's that? Laying down your life? Yeah, Absolutely. In fact, we won't go there. It's, it's in my notes, but I won't go there because we're covering it right now then. Jesus said to husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the ultimate, man. And when I do marriage counseling, I say, yeah, that means, of course, step in front of a bullet. Or if your car is getting carjacked at a, at a, uh, you know, a uh, gas station, you don't throw your wife in the car. You, throw your, you, you, you do everything you can to stop them. Even if it means you try not to get run over, but trying to rescue her, amen? But it also means dying to self one cut at a time on a daily basis, you know? I mean, I can say by the grace of God, my, my relationship with my wife is blessed because we follow the biblical principles, you know? Well, what if my wife doesn't deserve it? Well, no, wife deserves it. And we all deserve death, right? And we deserve death, but Jesus died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, amen? amen. Okay? Although if you have a wife that's following Christ, man, it sure makes it a lot easier. If you have a husband that's following Christ, it sure makes it a lot easier to respect him and, and follow his leadership as well. So that's a colossal way that we follow. Look at John chapter 15, verse 12. John 15, 12. Looks kind of familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Same thing. When Jesus repeats himself more than once, man, when he says just one thing, that should be enough, amen? But when he repeats himself, I'm like, okay, Lord, make this my goal in life, to love others the way you love them, amen? It's beautiful. That's his commandment. So it's a new commandment. He says to him in chapter 13, now they got it. Now he says, this is my commandment. So are you seeking to love one another the way Christ did? It's easy to just go with how you feel about things. Feelings can be so deceptive. Somebody calls you and they just maybe irritate you because they're always asking for things or something. You know, you have to be prayerful. You have to use discernment. We have to say, Lord, how do I go the extra mile? Jesus says, what credit to you is it, in, John, in Luke chapter 6, is if you just love your own families, if you love your own. For he says, even the worldly people love their own families. So don't go to bed at night saying, man, I really blessed my family. I'm such an awesome person. I'm such a good Christian. And pat yourself on the back. I mean, you could be grateful and say, praise the Lord, I bless my family. But don't think you've arrived if you love your family, but you don't love your enemies. It's in that context where Jesus said, love your enemies. For the Father causes it to, to reign on the just and the unjust. Amen? And he said, if you want to be like your, the most high God, love your enemies because he loves his enemies. Amen? Aren't you glad that God loves his enemies? Amen. That, that's why you don't have to wonder if Jesus died for you, if he loves you. He loves you. He loves his enemies. He wants everybody to be saved. As Carol said earlier, through Steve, he doesn't want that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Amen? Amen. And pray for Carol. She lost her dog of 17 years, Carol. That's a tough one. I can't imagine, you know. So we love you guys. And Steve, your dog too, right? Did just sleep on Carol's side, right? Okay. <laughs> but pray for them. That's really, really rough. I've, I, I bawl when I lose my dogs, you know. So we love you, Carol. And uh, is it okay if we get you a new puppy tomorrow? No, don't do that. It actually crossed my mind. I go, no, that would be ridiculous because then somebody's stuck with a dog they don't want, you know. I used, to, I used to have an Irish wolfhound. They get like this tall. Here, Carol, here's a little baby puppy. A year from now. <laughs> would never do that to you, by the way. But we love you guys. How about John chapter 15, verse 18? If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Right? Isn't that a trip? But what does he go on to say? The world of, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of uh, <laughs> this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I've said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also what? Persecute you. 
If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So Jesus said, because we're going to follow him, we're going to love people, and we're going to go, we want to love babies that are being butchered. We do all kinds of things the world doesn't want to do. We're going to be hated by the world. And that's part of what Jesus went through. And he said, how much more, if the master goes through it, he goes, how much more are you going to go through it? So part of counting the cost and taking our crosses is knowing that we persecuted. Paul said, all those, live, those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Romans 13, 14 says this, listen, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to put on Jesus and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So I'm supposed to put on Jesus and not provide for my old man and the things of my old person, Amen. I'm supposed to put on Christ. And we spent time last Wednesday, that's why I'm not going to those passages, in Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, where it talks about putting off the old deeds, old things of the flesh, anger and wrath and bitterness, and putting on, you know, love and peace and these wonderful things of the Spirit. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Ooh. So we can look at Paul. He says, be an imitator of Paul as he is of Christ. And we look at Paul's lifestyle. He was all about winning souls. Amen. And we, we look at his example. You follow him as he follows Christ. I can look at different brothers and sisters here in Blessed Open. I do. That I see different Christ-like qualities in them that are a great example to me. That are encouraging to me. Yes, let's be more like that. That's beautiful. Sometimes Lisa and I will talk about, you know, wow, this person is such a blessing in this way. You know, it's such a good uh, example as to how we're all to be. Uh, I love Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he says it's Christ who lives in me. And now the life that I now live in the flesh, he says, by faith in the Son of God. Uh, uh, and he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's, we're supposed to be empowered by Jesus to where we're not only following his example, but it's the, his power, his spirit that's living through us. Galatians 3.27. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Amen. That's awesome. Go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 4. I can't have you turn to each verse because we'll run out of time if we look at all the verses because I want to look at so, we're looking at so many of them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. This is a big part of sanctification. That's why I could have called this sanctification 101 part 2 or I could have called it sanctification 102 because guess what? To be sanctified means to be set apart from that which is evil and set apart unto God. But the amazing thing about that is when we're being set apart unto God, we're actually becoming like Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's just a blow mind that God has allowed us this privilege. I mean, you are, going, you are becoming like Jesus. It's just amazing. And it's an exciting, exciting thing. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. <laughs> I love what Paul does, man. He just, he just, you know, adds and multiplies, you know, these bad things that have to do with anger and malice and bitterness. We don't have time to get into the differences there, but, you know, you have bitterness. It could be a deep root of bitterness, as the Bible talks about, that's just stuck in you, of anger you have towards somebody, and then it explodes in thumos, which is a Greek word for an anger that kind of just comes to explode eventually. Uh, it, when we, we're supposed to put that aside. Well, what do we do? Well, we understand this first. James 1.19 says, be angry. Well, Ephesians 4 before this says, be angry and don't sin. If you're going to be angry because there's something that's happened to you, don't sin, okay? And don't let the sun go down on your anger, amen? I mean, deal with it. If you're angry and upset because, let's say, something's truly happened to you that's really hurt you, don't stew over it, man. It says, don't sin. Because when you're angry... That's when Satan comes in, man. First of all, he'll try to get you to be angry, and then he'll try to seduce you when you're angry because you're emotional. And he could get you. How many of you realize you're far more apt to say something stupid when you're angry than when you're not angry? I'll put my hand up. Kick the dog. No, I don't do that stuff. Ask my wife. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I shouldn't say that. So he kicks his dog when he's mad. No, I'm just playing. I don't do that. You know, I try not to kill spiders in my house if I can get away with it. You know. I just killed one recently because I'm like, I'm tired, dude. You're just going to be real hard to get. My wife gets spider bites. She's getting all the mosquito bites. Anybody getting bit by the mosquitoes? 
How many of you are getting bit by these mosquitoes that they say came from China? I don't know that that's true. It's kind of like people say, blame everything on the Chinese now. I feel bad for the Chinese in some ways. But uh, raise your hand if you've been getting bit by the mosquitoes at all. How many have been out and about and you see other people getting bit, but you haven't gotten bit yet? There's something in the blood. I don't know what it is, man. Because my wife's getting bit like crazy. They won't even land on me. You know, I tell her she needs to eat more garlic or something. I don't know, you know. But it's kind of crazy. Uh, but it goes on to say, look at verse 32. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. That's, you know, because you're putting on Christ, right? Tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Look at what it says now. Just as God in Christ also has what? Forgiven you. Amen? There again, we find the forgiveness. We follow our Father. Be perfect as He's perfect. We follow Jesus' example. We press on to perfection. Not that we have yet obtained it, but we press on to the goal, Paul says. And then I was going to bring you to, oh, look at Ephesians chapter 5 now, verses 1 and 2. Therefore be what? Imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in verses 25 through 27, that's where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Amen? Which we have already talked about. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I love these verses. I just are so beautiful because, you know, they not only command this, but God, where God guides, he provides. Amen? He will allow you and provide for you by the power of his spirit to become Christ-like. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says in verse 5, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Amen? Right? Same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Or as it, uh, uh, in Philippians chapter 2 in the NASB says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He could have just remained in heaven, being worshipped, but instead, verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on what? A cross. Goes on to talk about how he's highly exalted now, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and so forth. But God, he's, he's God. I mean, come on. He created us who he fell. What in the world is he doing? He becomes a man and becomes a man and you know, takes a bondservant and dies a death, but not just a death. It says even in the, in the Greek, it's real strong, a criminal's death. It's talking about even the death on the cross, the worst kind of death. His face is marred more than any man's. Why? Because he loves us so much. much. That just, I can't get my brain around that. I mean, if anybody else was God, they would just like, I'm done with you guys. Get out of my life. But our God is love. God is love. Don't ever doubt the goodness of God. Whenever Satan tries to throw a wrench in your thinking about the goodness of God, first of all, think this. Realize that you are not God, that you are limited, way limited in your thinking, amen? That what we know compared to God is infinitesimally small, amen? And he created the universe. How could you doubt him? And any kinds of judgment or criteria that you would use that's accurate to assess who God is, that's come from him, Amen? And when it gets twisted is when we, the Bible says, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. Don't quarrel with your maker, man. The Bible says, woe, that's judgment. Recognize that, man, as again, the Bible says, God is light. First John 1, 5, this message that we, we, we give you is that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I love that, man. But you know what? It's interesting because he becomes a man. And we look at that. We say, that's so amazing. What did he do when he washed their feet? He got on his knees and washed their feet. Amen? But look back up now again and look at verse 5. Have this what? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I memorized this years ago, this passage in the King James, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Same mind. Have the same mindset. Have the same attitude. And how many of us do that? How many of us go the extra mile to serve other people? We all should be doing that. That's true Christianity, amen? I mean, he became a man that left heaven. It says he became poor so we could become rich. It's talking about spiritually rich, amen? Of course, he meets our needs according to his riches and glory. But that's amazing to me. And brothers and sisters, can you, what's a way 
that we could condescend, as it says in the King James in the Romans 12, to condescend to the man of the lower estate. And not to esteem yourselves, it says elsewhere, more highly than you ought. Or don't just consider your own interests, but the interests of others. Those are verses that I always string together in my heart and my mind when I want to make sure I'm thinking of others and not myself. Those are wonderful verses because on a practical level, they help me on a practical level to constantly serve. Because it's not about me. It's about him and his glory. It's about loving one another and seeing people get saved and then becoming Christ-like after they're saved. So how do you condescend, lower yourself to a person of lower state that's struggling? What do you, I mean, what does that mean to you? That means you shouldn't be putting your nose up at people that have less than you or are going through trials or are sick or are sad or hurting as though you're better in some way or you're beyond that because guess what? You're going to be going down for the count because pride goes before fall and then you're going to need help up. Amen. Amen. But we're going to reach down and even get on our knees to help people out that are down and out. Amen. We don't use Christianity as a means to an end for yourself. Recognize it's all about God's glory and living for him and serving one another. And giving somebody this, it doesn't have to be like, you know, you know, tr- you know, whipping your back and you know, flagellating yourself as you go up steps. And No, he's not talking about just hurting yourself, although sometimes when you serve people, it's going to hurt. But he's talking about lovingly serving people. Remember, Jesus says, if you give someone a cold glass of water in my name, you'll receive a reward in heaven. Amen? This is being a servant. And we want to have that mindset where we're not serving to get the rewards either, although Jesus did talk about rewards, and he wants those to be an incentive for us, so I don't want to negate that te- part of his teaching. But he wants us to serve out of love because he's loved us. Amen? Wow, you did this for me, Jesus. You left it all. You gave it all. You, I don't have to, you did everything for me. Jesus says, you know, freely you have received, freely what? Give. give. Brothers and sisters, if you have become a Christian, you have freely received. Now you're commanded to freely give. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. You don't have to go there. Verses, verse 3 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now he's talking about running the race to win. But there he's talking about having Christ... In, in Hebrews chapter 11, remember the Hall of Faith? He gives all those wonderful examples of faith. I wish, personally, translators would have incorporated those first three or four verses in Hebrews 12 at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews 12 would then go on to say, talk about discipline, how he disciplines us. Right? And then those last, those first three or four verses in chapter 12, because there's no chapter breaks in the original Greek. So this is not like you're messing with the Bible. That's just men put the chapter breaks there. I wish they would have put those last three or four verses, just thinking out loud, you know. I've often thought, why did they not do that, man? Because he gives all these examples of faith, right? And then he'd be ending with Jesus as the ultimate example of faith. Because he's often the finisher of our faith. And a lot of times people translate, he's often the finisher of our faith. In the Greek, it's not that. He's often the finisher of faith, meaning he's the ultimate example of what it means to trust the Father and finish his race. Amen? So you look to Jesus. And I love that. Paul, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, he said, I fought the good fight, right? I have finished my uh, course. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not only to me, but for all those who love his appearing. It's beautiful. But right before that, he talks about finishing his race there, but right before that, he says, he points to Jesus, who suffered under Pontius Pilate as his example. I love that, man. Look to Jesus, man. And what he went through. When you're going through hard times, when you're going through trials, when you're suffering, when you're being mistreated, look to Jesus, amen? When your boss is being really mean to you at work, you know? And he's treating you differently because you're a Christian. I'm glad you said that, Joe, because my boss has been treating me bad lately. Well, I am lazy. I don't do any work. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about if you're suffering because of Jesus' name. Get to work, man. Get up, you know? And, and be, be the best worker you could be. Be a witness for Jesus. Amen. So it's very, very important that we, we get this, you know. And uh, I've got just a little bit more time left. So uh, listen to 1 Peter 1. Or you can go there. 1 Peter 1, 21 through 23. For you have been called for this purpose, purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He left us an example. When he suffered, there it is again who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. 
I love that. That's telling me as a Christian, when I suffer for Christ, I shouldn't be cussing people out. I shouldn't be retaliating. I'm not talking about not, I'm not saying don't defend yourself. Someone tries to break in your home or something. I'm talking about suffering for Christ. You know, they arrest you because you're a Christian. You scumbag. I can't believe you arrest me. You're going to burn in hell. No. Is that what Stephen did in Acts 7? No. No, he prayed, Father, forgive them. Why did Jesus do it at the cross? Father, forgive them for they know what they do. In fact, that's what we need to be as Christ-like. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus, Father. And it said he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Commit. When you're going through hard times, you're being mistreated. Keep crying out to the Father, man. Father, give me strength. Give me wisdom. Help me endure this time. And you'll get through the storms of life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Look at 1 John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. You don't have to go there. It's a very short verse. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Wow. If you're saying you're following Christ, you should be walking the way he walked. Remember those bracelets? Some of you might be too young, but everybody's wearing what would Jesus do bracelets? Remember that? If we're going to say we're in Christ, man, we need to be walking as he walked. He is calling you to be a follower, a true follower. 1 John 2.29 If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. In other words, guess what? His children will look like him. They'll be practicing righteousness. And I love 1 John. And this is, a, this is the verse I went, I, I, I just sped through at the end of the last service so I could get out here uh, get out of here on time with you guys. But in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, it says, see how great, I didn't read this particular verse, but I read one of these verses. It says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Hmm, John, how great was the love that the Father bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. Wow. Uh, the King James, what manner of love the Father has you know, bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Come on, guys, we were rebels. We were criminals. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, around verses 6 through 8, that somebody might die for a righteous person. If somebody's especially righteous or especially good on, on a relatively on a world level, right? Somebody might die for them, but it's rare. But he says, then he goes on to say, but guess what? <laughs> While we were yet sinners, criminals, Christ died for us. That's an amazing love. And I love that. I think of that past when I think of this. Oh, what manner of love is this? That God would call us children. Make us his children. Amen. Amen. We were the ones that put his son to death. Think about that. Somebody comes and destroys your kid. Would you adopt them in your family later? That's pretty incredible love. Amen. And then it goes on to say, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not, uh, has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him. So wait, do you have your hope folks, fixed on Jesus? Are you looking forward to being like him? If that's true, this is what should be happening in your life. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. That means, guess what? Jesus is pure. So when I live my life, I'm seeking to what? If I see impurities in my life, which you will, because you'll look at the mirror of God's word. It's called a mirror. And you'll look at his word, you'll be like, mm, that's, that's messed up. Mm, oh, that's a bad attitude. Mm, oh, i got to fix this. And you, you won't be like the man who looks in the mirror, James says, who is a forgetful hearer. You'll be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, right? And you'll deal with the condition of your heart, and you'll say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me and take that ugliness out of my heart. And purify me, make me more like Jesus. And as you seek him through the day and you pray, you go through your day, God will reveal attitudes that are messed up in you, uh, jealousies, strife, whatever's going on in your life that's not of Jesus. Trials have a way, because that's the heat, the fiery trials, of bringing the dregs and exposing them so you can identify the darkness, repent of it, and ask for forgiveness, and get right with God, and be purified. Amen? And he that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now, in my last minute here, I want to share two verses with you because it's like, you can't do this in your own strength. And you know why Christians don't have victory? Because they don't rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul prays in Ephesians 3.16, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man. 
Amen? And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that God, by His Spirit, as we look in, as we are these mirrors that reflect His glory, behold His glory, He transforms us from glory to glory by His Spirit. Amen? Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Pray throughout the day, Lord, strengthen me by Your Spirit to be the man or the woman You've created me to be. Make me more like Jesus every day. Amen? And praise God, because guess what? There's one verse, I'm not going to go to it, because I'm looking at the clock and it's time to end, but I think it's Philippians 3.21. It says, when Jesus Christ comes back, we don't know yet, yet know what we're going to be, it says in Scripture, when He comes back. But it says, when He comes back, He will transform these mortal bodies by the exertion of His power, and we've made like Him. So you're going to look like Him in the resurrection even. Not exactly like Him, because He's the one that <laughs> looks like the sun but you're going to reflect that light in all eternity, amen, as a child of God and one who bears Christ's glorious image. Amen? amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand?